Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, really good to see you. So last time I preached, we had a power cut and all the lights went out and it was dark, wasn't it? So hopefully that will not happen today. Katie's not planning any tricks of turning the lights off. Um, so good morning. It is good to be here. And as you know, we are in a series looking at the book of Nehemiah, so an Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And this morning we're talking a little bit about teamwork. And um, by way of introduction, myself and my husband Matt are quite big basketball fans. We love basketball. And and um, it is, playoff season has just begun, so we are now trying to cram in as much basketball watching as we can around our lives. Slightly awkward because the games are all in the middle of the night, but um, still, we'll do what we can. And if you know anything about basketball, you may recognise this guy. Does anyone know who this is? LeBron James. This is LeBron James. So he used to play for Miami. He is now a Cleveland Cavaliers player, and he is possibly the greatest basketball ball player in the world at the moment. I say possibly because it's under debate, but still. He's a great, great basketball player. And um, Matt and I have been following his career for a little while. And there is a documentary that has been made about his life called More Than a Game. And if you are a sports fan, I cannot recommend this documentary film more highly. It is brilliant. It's called More Than a Game. And it follows the early life of LeBron James as he got into basketball. And you see his high school basketball team, which are the, these bunch of guys. And LeBron is already, at the age of sort of 14, 15, already clearly the star, but he comes as part of a team. And this guy on the right of our picture is a guy called Drew Joyce III. And he, as you can tell from that picture, is a pretty short guy. At 4 foot 11, he is probably the least likely person in the high school to make it into the basketball team. However, he loves the game. He loves it, and he wants desperately to play alongside his friend LeBron and the other team members. And so he works hard, and he knows that he is never going to be the star of the team. He's never going to be LeBron James, but he knows that if he can find something that he's good at and work really, really hard at it, that he just might get a game. And so in the More Than a Game story, there's a really pivotal um, high school basketball match that comes near the end. And um, Drew hasn't made the starting lineup, so he's on the bench, the other guys are playing. And then there's a moment where they bring Drew Joyce onto the, onto the field and the um, other team are jeering at him. They're like, who is this guy? He's so short, what is he going to do? They're giving him some stick and he's just quietly doing his thing. And he goes on to score an incredible number of three-pointers. So three-pointers are those shots that you take from outside of the D. So from quite a long way back, he's shooting, and he's getting the balls in the net every time. And the crowd are going mental, because there's this little guy, the last guy you'd expect to score like this. um, And he's sending the crowd crazy. And so I really like Drew Joyce III, probably because... I relate to him being the short guy, but um, he is an example for me of someone who knows that he's not going to be the big player, but he knows that if he works hard and finds something that he's good at, he will make the team. But, you know, sort of 10 years on, every, almost everyone in the world's heard of LeBron James. Very few people, unless you've watched more than a game, have heard of Drew Joyce III. And today, what we're talking about is the unsung heroes like Drew Joyce III. So this is what the, the, um, the 
story of Nehemiah has come to a point where we need to stop thinking about the big heroes and start talking about the little guys. So we're in Nehemiah. The story so far is that the, um, Nehemiah has been burdened for his people. So it's after the exile and Jerusalem is in ruins. The Israelites, who are the, peop- the special chosen people of God, are refugees all over the world. They're a scattered people. Um, and they have no safe place, no refuge, no city to call their own. And Nehemiah is burdened by this. And he, um, go- he's, he turns to prayer and he prays to God for an opportunity to go and help his people and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he seeks the favor of King Artaxerxes and he goes. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he keeps quiet, he gets the lay of the land, he looks around, works out what's going on, and he formulates a plan to rebuild the the walls. And then he gathers a team, sets out the vision, and gets to work. So that's what we were talking about last week. Dan was telling us about the exemplary leadership of Nehemiah as he gathers the team and shares the vision. And so now we come to Nehemiah chapter 3, the building of the walls. It's the pinnacle. It's the high moment. All the preparation has been done, and now the action is about to start. The walls are actually going to get built. But I don't know if you've read Nehemiah chapter 3 before today, but it's pretty dull reading. It's not what you'd expect for the high moment, the action point in the story. It's basically a long list of names of everybody who built the wall. So if we've got this next picture. This is the walls of Jerusalem. And you can see all the colored sections with the names. That, those are the sections that were built by the different people and the names of everyone who built them. So. Um, we're going to read a little bit of it, so uh, if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. If not, don't worry, the words are going to come up on the screen, but hold this picture in your mind as we, as we, um, as we read, because it, we're going around the sections of the wall. Okay, everyone ready? So, Nehemiah 3, starting at verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section, Next to him, Meshalam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Jeada, son of Passia, and Meshalam, son of Besidea. They laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatian of Gibeon and Jadon of Merineth, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Okay, you get the picture. I'm going to stop there. We've only got a little bit of the way around. We started up in that top corner at the Sheep Gate, and we've come down here to the um, old city gate, Jayada. There's, there's a long way more to go, and the rest of the chapter literally goes through, and talks about every single person that was involved in building the walls. And so 
Not the most inspiring passage of scripture, not probably the first place you'd go to in your devotional times in the morning. Maybe not the piece that you'd read out at a prayer meeting to encourage everyone. But what we need to ask ourselves this morning is, why is it recorded like this? Why is this passage in here? Because the Bible writers don't just fill with tedious detail for no reason, do they? All scripture is God-breathed, all is useful, all has purpose in making us more like Christ. And so how does this passage do that? Well, I think that in this passage we see that progress in the kingdom of God is not just about the great heroes. It's not about excellent leaders, the uber-talented, the LeBron Jameses, if you like. But breakthrough in the kingdom of God comes through normal people doing their bit. Everyday people building their bit of wall. You see, if we didn't have Nehemiah chapter 3, we could easily assume that the walls would, had been built by Nehemiah. He gets his name on the book. He, most of the action has centered around him so far. And yes, he played a vital role. His leadership was needed, but he did not build the walls single-handedly. And in fact, in the description of the walls being built, Nehemiah's name is not even mentioned The wall would not have been built without the hard graft of the average Joes. And this may not sound like a very inspiring message, but I want to suggest that this morning for us, this is good news. And this is good news because it teaches us that success in the kingdom of God is not about you being the hero. You don't need to save the world. You don't need to get it all right all the time. You don't need to supersede everybody else in the race to have a meaningful life. You don't even need to be a brilliant leader. Do you know, um, I went to a school called Wolverhampton Girls High School. Sounds a bit posh, but it's in Wolverhampton, so nothing is posh in Wolverhampton. But um, it was a school where you had to take an exam to get in. And so we were constantly told at school that you're in the top 5% in the country. You have the potential to change the world. You can be anything you want to be. You must just work hard and you will change it. And because it was a girls' school, I don't know if anyone else went to a girls' school, but there was this added pressure of, and because you're a girl, you can achieve better than all the men. And you must. You owe it to women everywhere to beat the men into those positions of authority in business and sport and science, areas where stereotypically they've been dominated by men. That was the message I was told from the age of 11 to 18, constantly, every day. And it was a crushing message to hear. And I think that whether we like it or not, actually this message does come through in lots of other ways in society as well. Think about the media. We are generally only told the headlines, which leads us to think that we need to do something great that can be summed up in less than 12 words, short enough to tweet. There's no glamour in the quiet, consistent, hard work. We've got to do something eye-catching. We've got to change the world. We've got to do something meaningful. and Otherwise, our lives are worthless. And this leaves us with the questions of what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to make a difference? How am I going to do something, mean something, count for something? We're taught to put all our identity, all our meaning in what we achieve with our lives. And this is a major problem for us because it leads one of two ways. Either it leads to pride when we think we have got it right, or it leads to despair when we realize that we can't. We fall into one of these two categories. When we, when we measure ourselves against the standards that we've set or that have been set for us, either we, get, we fall into pride where we think that we can do it by ourselves, or we're crushed when we realize we can't. And I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I swing between the two often. 
And tragically, I think the same situation is seen in the church. So even in the church, the very place where kingdom values should be most prevalent, it's easy for us too to fall prey to the success-driven individualism that we're surrounded by. And behind it all is still this struggle to find meaning and purpose. Still we're asking, how is my life going to count? And still we feel the self-satisfaction if we're doing well or despair if we're feeling like we've fallen short. And so the question that we want to ask is, how do we change? How do we live a different way, a way that leads to satisfaction and contentment and freedom? And, you know, I think that Nehemiah 3 can help us with this because this endless list of people's names that I can't pronounce has been included for an important reason because the passage shows us that we're not in this alone. It's not all on us, but actually we are part of something bigger than ourselves. So we are not called in our lives to build the most impressive palace that we can possibly muster by ourselves to prove our intelligence and our creativity and reach our potential. Rather, the purpose of our lives is to join together to build something far bigger, far more impressive than anything we could do on our own. The building of the walls in Nehemiah 3 is a picture of how God intends his people to live, a diverse group of people engaged in a task that is much bigger than themselves because God is building his kingdom on this earth. That's what we were singing about this morning. God is building his kingdom here and it is radically different to anything that the world has ever seen. It is a kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's a kingdom where the broken and the bruised and the damaged are honored and cared for and the proud are brought low. And the key to being part of this kingdom is letting go of the pressure to do it alone and to make our own way, and embracing being part of something bigger together, working toward a greater goal. And so this morning, if some of you relate to those questions of what am I doing with my life, am I doing enough to make it count, I want you to see that God isn't looking at you, waiting to see how well you perform. Rather, he is inviting you to take part in something bigger, something more glorious, more exciting, and everlasting his kingdom. He, he is the king of his kingdom. He has the plan. He is in control. And he's inviting us to play a part in it, to build our little bit of wall. But we're in it together, which means that we share each other's successes and we share hardship. We carry each other's burdens and we support each other in the building. And that is what it means to be the church, isn't it? We're not a group of individuals who just happen to think similarly about some stuff. But we're a family, a body that's been brought together by God to achieve his purposes on the earth. A people with a plan, a team in which everyone has a part to play. And when we are released to play our own part, we complement each other perfectly. Because the city, Jerusalem, was meaningless without its wall. And just part of the wall wasn't enough. If only a few people had built, it would have made no difference. The city would still not have been safe. It needed everybody to find their part and build faithfully and effectively. So I want to just ask you this morning, what is your bit of the wall? What's the thing that God's given you to do 
And how are you getting on with building it? Do you feel like you're faithfully putting brick on top of brick? Or have you got distracted looking at the whole thing, feeling the pressure to do it all? The question is, are we going to stop looking at our own lives and seeing it from a me-centered, what am I going to do, and see the bigger picture and be released into working alongside each other? Because I think that's the challenge that Nehemiah 3 gives us, to accept that it's not just about us, but we're part of something bigger and we need each other. And so just for the rest of our time this morning, I want to think about three different ways that this affects the way we live our everyday lives, the way we work in this um, kingdom perspective so three things we when we get this um, sort of mind, mindset shift to see that we're part of something bigger it enables us to build with a kingdom perspective it enables us to build faithfully for the long haul and it enables us to build effectively alongside each other so firstly building with a kingdom perspective I want you just to think for a minute about your work so what I mean by work is I guess your bit of wall, so the thing that God has given you to do. So for lots of us, that will be our jobs. For some of us, that will be the search for a job. For some of us, that will be our family life, maybe your full-time mom at the moment. For some of us, it will be like our community engagement. For some, it will be ministry engagement in church. Lots of different things that that could mean, but it's what do you feel like you have been given to do at this time? And I want you to think about what is your goal in your work Is it promotion? Is it earning more money? Is it gaining the respect and affirmation of those around you? Is it being better than other people? Or is it working with integrity, growing in godly character, being a blessing to those around you? And do you feel content with the role you've been given? Or are you always thinking about the next thing? Where am I going? How can I move into a better position? How am I going to improve my career? Because I think if we believe the message of Nehemiah, it means that every single role and job has value. No part of the wall is better than another because all are necessary to get the job done. Which means whatever position you're in right now, God has a purpose for you being there. And that doesn't mean that you'll stay there forever, but it means you don't just have to live waiting for the next thing. Because we can trust that the king is in charge of the whole operation. He is the one who moves and positions us into the roles and responsibilities that he wants us to hold. Because he wants to bring his kingdom into every area of our society. And so he needs his builders in every area of society, in different workplaces, in different people groups. And sometimes we, can, we only see our little bit, but God is seeing the whole picture and is strategically moving us so that he can, um, his purposes can be achieved, so that glory can come to him. And so I'm not in any way saying that doing well in your career is a bad thing. I'm not saying that working hard and improving your career is bad. What I'm saying is that as the people of God, our focus, our primary focus isn't in just moving up the ladder, improving our own lives. Our focus has got to be faithfulness to what God has called us to do, trusting that he will move us on at the right time. Secondly, building faithfully for the long haul. So when we skim through chapters like Nehemiah 3 and read all those names, it's really easy to think that the job got done really quickly. 
It's really easy to think that so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this, da-da-da-da-da, a few days later, all the walls are up, great, everyone can go home. But I don't think that was actually the case because some of those sections of walls are long. This was not an overnight job. It was hard toil for the long haul. And I wonder if some of you at the moment feel like your section of the wall feels like hard toil. You feel like maybe you heard God in the past about what he was going to do and where he wants you to be. And you've been there working hard, but you just don't feel like he's coming through on his promises. You're just not seeing the breakthrough that you felt that he promised. And you know, sometimes I think God does that intentionally. Sometimes God takes us through a long season of preparation before we see any fruit. And it can be hard and frustrating and disheartening. And I guess if that's how you feel this morning, I just want to bring some encouragement that you aren't in it alone, that you're part of a bigger picture. And sometimes building in the kingdom is a hard slog. But I don't want you to be tricked into thinking that if you haven't got amazing stories to tell or if you haven't seen fruit really quickly that you're doing the wrong thing. That isn't the case. Sometimes it's just about carrying on building. And, you know, sort of Dan in his introduction, we talked about Holbeck. It feels like... We've talked about Holbeck a lot at church recently because there's exciting things to tell. But that is sort of a a glimpse of what's been going on for six years of sort of just daily working it out, living it out. There's There's a backstory to every story that's shared from the front on a Sunday that includes faithful building over a long haul. And I want you to be encouraged. If you feel like you haven't got those stories right now, you're in this stage of faithful building, that is the right place for you to be. And God is with you in that and able to resource you in everything that you need. There's a guy called Paul Miller who wrote a book called A Praying Life. And in it, he uses this phrase, long-term obedience in the same direction. And I like that phrase, long-term obedience in the same direction. That's what God asks of workers in his kingdom. That's what God honors. And we can be be obsessed with the quick fix, the headline, the highlights, but God is the God of the long haul. He sees the bigger picture, and he's so pleased with the faithfulness of his people just carrying on, putting brick on top of brick. So be encouraged. I think the length of time that we feel like we're waiting for God to do what, he feel, what we feel he said he's going to will either lead us um, to cynicism and hopelessness or it will lead us to being burdened and prayerful. And I think in my journey, I've definitely been both and probably spent more time down the cynical and hopeless feeling like, what is the point? Why are we doing this? Let's all just leave. But actually, if, when we come out and see the bigger picture again, we can say, God, lead me into that burdened, prayerful place. That's where I want to be. That's how I want to make the most of this season of building. So we can build um, with a kingdom perspective. We can build faithfully for the long haul and we can build effectively alongside each other. This is really important. You know, every builder in that list has a name. For thousands of years, their names are recorded 
It's not, it's not a, a race, it's not a competition, it's not about the one who built the biggest bit, it's not about the one who built the fastest. Every single name is valued to God. And that is the same in the church today, that is the same for us. There is not a hierarchy of builders. Perhaps some of us will build large sections while some of us will build smaller sections. Perhaps, perhaps some of us will build the big fancy tower, but someone had to build the dung gate. You know, for us today, some of us will have really visible ministries. Some, for some, our part of the wall will be really obvious, whereas for some, it, it won't be. It won't be seen yet. Not, neither is more valuable than the other. All are valued to God because this thing only works when everybody plays their part. You know, we're, as the church in the Bible is described like a body. So in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, but, but in fact, God has placed the parts in a body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And that is just such an excellent picture of the church. We are many parts, but we're one body. We've got one mission, one call from God, but we have got many, many ways of expressing that in, in, in the world and in our work, and all are really, really crucial. But the big thing is that we need each other. We need those people who are building alongside, alongside us. And um, if you've been around Mosaic a little while, you'll have heard us talk about mission groups and about discipleship tri triplets, because these are those smaller groups where you can find friends and co-workers who will build alongside you. And I have just found these to be absolutely vital in building effectively. So my discipleship triplets with Anne-Marie Ward, and we are building different sections of the wall. We're in different stages. We've got different things that we've been asked to do. But we're able to talk about our sections together. We're able to talk about our work and know real detail about each other's lives. That means that when we talk, we're able to ask questions that unlock how we're really doing. We're able to pray for each other and support each other in a real way. And it makes all the difference. And so if, if you've joined Mosaic Church recently, I want you to find that sense of working together with people in this church. I want you to find a mission group and a discipleship group where you can get to know people who can know you really well and who can build effectively alongside you. You know, another picture of the church in the Bible in 1 Peter 2 is of a building. And if you imagine a brick wall, I've got a picture of a brick wall, um, if you imagine a brick wall, the bricks are all interlocking, aren't they? It's not just a pile of bricks on top of each other, they're interlocking. And that, again, is a really important picture of how we are to live as the church, interlocking, dependent on each other. And, you know, um, last week, Dan talked about as we build, we face opposition. Opposition will come. And this position of being interlocked like bricks in a wall is even more crucial in those moments where the opposition comes. And, you know, again, in Holbeck, we feel like we are experiencing some opposition to what we're doing. Many of you know that last weekend we were um, on our way back from holiday together and we were involved in a car crash. That, you know, we were all okay. There was lots of... There's lots to praise God for in that situation, but it was a hard situation to go through. And it felt like it, 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 felt like it had come as opposition to what we were doing together. And, but through that, because there was that sense of interdependency, carrying each other's burdens, working alongside each other, this week has been just an incredible week of experiencing the care and love of, of 
of our friends. We've got a WhatsApp group as a Holbeck group, and every day people have been posting verses and prayers and encouragements. And to receive that on a daily basis just makes such a difference. And I guess I'm just using that as an example of we've got to put ourselves in those positions of allowing ourselves to be interdependent, allowing ourselves to build close and deep um, community so that when opposition comes, we don't, we're not put off the building. We don't have to lay down our tools and stop. We can keep going because we've got um, the support of those around us. So I guess I want to ask you, who, who's building alongside you? Or who are you building alongside? Who can you encourage and draw alongside and, and help and support? Because God is building his kingdom on this earth. He is at work in our world and he is inviting us to be part of it. And for us, if we want to be builders in the kingdom of God, the first step is to see that we're part of something bigger And then the second step is to find our section and build faithfully. And so every time you demonstrate humility by preferring someone else to yourself, you put another brick on the wall. And every time you serve in a way that nobody sees, you put another brick on the wall. Every time you work hard even though no one is watching, you're putting more bricks into the wall. Every time you choose not to speak about someone behind their back, you're putting bricks into the wall. Every time you take criticism and don't need to jump to defend yourself, you're putting bricks on the wall because what we're building here is not an impressive palace to show how great we are. We're building the kingdom of God, that upside-down kingdom where the first should be last and the last should be first, where the broken and bruised can be cared for, but the proud are brought low, where there's only one king, And that is Jesus. So the challenge from Nehemiah 3 is to realize it's God's wall. He is in control. He's building it, but he wants to use you. So what is your part and how are you getting on with building it? And I wonder if you would just stand with me now and if the band could come back. I just want to pray for us. And I want to pray for those of us who... um, this morning you feel like you, you want to be part of, of building God's kingdom and you know what it is in front of you that you've been given to do, but you know you need the power of the Holy Spirit to build effectively. You know that you want, I, I, I want to pray for like a commissioning for us to go and be builders that, of the kind that God really desires. But I also want to pray for you if you feel like you're not sure what your section of the wall is. You're not sure where you fit into this picture. I want to pray that God would this morning speak to you about that and would encourage you because it is true that he has called you here on purpose and there is a part for you to play. And I also want to pray for anyone who feels tired of slogging out building in the same place. And then finally, I'd like to pray for people who maybe at the moment feel like they're not building at all yet. And maybe that's because you've never heard that there's a kingdom that is worth being built. Or maybe it's just because, um, well, it's for many different reasons. But if you would like to join what God's doing this morning, I want to pray that, um, yeah, that you would feel able to respond this morning and to just take a step into building for God. So let me pray, and then if we could spend some time singing and responding together. 
Jesus, thank you that you are building your kingdom on the earth. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who holds the plans. You're the one who is in control. You're the one who um, is just orchestrating your purposes. That you are not putting pressure on us to get it right. That you're not waiting for us to impress you with our building. Rather, you are behind us, speaking to us, showing us where to be and how to build. And so, Lord, I pray that you just fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit right now. I pray that you would fill us and equip us with all we need to build for you. Lord, I pray for those of us who feel um, encouraged, who feel excited about our work at the moment. Lord, we praise you for that and pray for real um, encouragement and equipping from your Holy Spirit. But Lord, I also pray for those who are struggling at the moment, who are feeling like they're just not sure where they're building. They're just not sure where to put their talents and investments. Holy Spirit, would you bring wisdom and clarity this morning? Would you bring guidance? Would you help us have that perspective shift to see the bigger picture? and to be freed to do our part. And Lord, I pray for those who've been working in the same place, chipping away. Thank you, God, that you honour long-term obedience in the same direction. Lord, would you bring encouragement and passion right now? Lord, would you just um, reject and remove cynicism from our hearts and lead us into that place of being burdened from, in prayer for more of you? And Lord, I pray for those this morning who just feel like, I don't know how this fits for me. I don't know if, this, if there's anything for me in this. Lord, would you, um, thank, like, would you invite us into your building project? Would you um, just come close to those people and show that personal invitation to come in and to play a part? So Holy Spirit, work amongst us. Have your way amongst us now. This is your time. Amen. Oh,